0: Welcome to Argyle Chat, the Plymouth Argyle podcast, brought to you by the Herald Sports Desk.
1: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Argyle Chat. Once again, uh, I'm David Monday, filling in for Stuart James, who is somewhat snowed in in uh, the east of Devon. Quite incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and so, um, while well here, it's uh, blue skies, and there's not a snowflake in sight. But uh, Obviously, uh, we've had a bit of a, a strange week for, for, for Argyle fans as well because an incredible game at home park on Saturday they beat Bristol Rovers three two. And here in the studio with me to discuss it is our is our regulars uh, Chris Harington, David, there. <laughs> <shoot>. <laughs> awesome awesome pilot, I'm on classic pilot. <laughs> Crikey, engage break. Yeah, yeah. And then we got David. Good afternoon. There, there we are. Yeah, I've I, I thought for a second there that yeah. Well,
0: that proves was... that Chris is good. Hello, is very Arthur
1: Price <laughs> <laughs> And we've also got Jack Ball as well. Good can afternoon, you... David. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's a bit more well practiced. You day. did that really well. Thank you. Yes. That's but you, you used to do
2: this on the fancy, yeah. fancy league podcast. Yeah, I've I've started, I start my FPL points, and you know I've, yeah. I've done yeah. the wrong thing. Okay, yeah. And I've also
1: clarified it on our on our template as well that I've uh, done the plan on this morning. If there's accidentally any stray questions about Sergio Aguero, we'll just try to ignore those. <laughs> um, so yeah, as, as we said, an incredible game this uh, this weekend uh, at home park, three two to to Argyle. And uh, well, I want to start by asking both of you, I mean, can you ever remember a game that was as action-packed as that in uh, in recent memory? We've had, we've had some interesting games, but well, for me, I mean, that took the
0: Well, I think the Riders games have been quite had uh, mm. quite a few free twos over the years. I remember yeah. there was one in particular, I think there were two seasons in a row where we had two free two performances away from him. Chris would have been there and I wasn't. Well, and I think one of them led to um, Carl Fletcher sacking and John Sheridan eventually getting the job, if I remember rightly, just after New Year. That was a defeat at uh, uh, New Year, yeah. That's yeah, right. so there's yeah. been a few free twos from both sides, so... Well. There's normally quite interesting games between the two teams, aren't
2: there? Yeah. I mean, it, it's not a local derby because Bristol's two hours away from Plymouth, isn't it? <laughs> but, but it always has the feel of a local derby. You know, when Argyle go up to the Memorial Stadium, they always take up their allocation of tickets. Not that it's the biggest at the Memorial Stadium, but they always sell out. It's the same when Bristol Rovers come down. There was, uh, what, 1,600 uh, Rovers fans at uh, Home Park on Saturday. It creates a great atmosphere. 13,500 crowd. It was bitterly cold, wasn't it? Everyone yeah. knows it was there. It was bitterly cold, so to have a game like that, to to keep everyone warm and entertained and, and talking points and goals and controversy, it was it had it all, and it was yeah, it was it was a really good game. I know they often say and it's a bit of a cliche, but it was a great advert for League One football. It, really it was, oh, it was yeah. just so
0: entertaining. You know that game was on TV. Just say that would have impressed anyone that watched it. It was really fun to watch. Yeah, good
2: quality game. I was impressed with Bristol Rovers. I thought they they were they were good. Yeah. Uh, and I was impressed with the way that our dug deep. And, uh, you know, when you think that they they took on a good Bristol Rovers team without over-their-first-choice centre-backs, Bradley and Edwards, and without Anthony Sarsavic and replaced them with um, a 20-year-old Loney, knee, uh, Jan Songo playing out of position at centre-back, on the left side of centre-back, and Moses McCarthy making only the second start of his league career, and they still came out with a win... <laughs> that's that's impressive
0: mm. and again you know, they didn't want their best I've got points in that game they? And to me it's always a sign of a good team that can grind out results when they're not performing on their absolute best But one thing you definitely can not say at the moment is that Argyle fans aren't getting their money's worth <laughs> but home, <laughs> at home and away games are really entertaining at the moment and they'll make it continue
1: I'm glad you just mentioned that because the next question that I wanted to ask you was um, I mean, did Argyle ever look like winning the game because I've got to admit it was I was surprised that they, they won it I think a lot of people were as well and you've kind of touched on um, the the character that, that Argyle have shown in games like this this season but I mean did you at any stage I mean especially when it were 2-1 down did you think Argyle would come back and win 3-2 uh, it was always going to be an ask
2: but you know when when you've got a team that've only lost one in 16 mm. before that game you know they're not used to losing you know and they, they they expect you know Jamie Ness came in and saw us after the game and and said you know the talk at half time in the dressing room was we get the next goal we're going and win it they weren't saying we'll get the next goal and we'll settle for a point you know so I think in their minds they, they, they certainly felt that they could turn it around. Did I ever think we go, were going to win the game or when Kerry stuck the penalty away <laughs> with five minutes to go it looked, uh, it looked more promising. Um, I suppose what you'd say in the first half Rovers um, were the better team. I thought Argyle were the better team in the second half. They came out really well at the start of the second half. They had um, fortune um, possibly with at least one of the penalty decisions. Uh, we can talk about those in a minute. But I thought they got on the front foot uh, and there were a few anxious moments at the back for goal but they were probably as much of their own making mm-hmm. with Songo and Remy Matthews not <laughs> having their greatest games rather than really what Bristol Rovers did. And you know, when you think how many saves did Remy Matthews have to make? How many clear cut chances did the Rovers have in the second half? Not that many. So, you know, it's I, I could understand if you were, if you were um, a Bristol Rovers fan or a player, you'd be aggrieved at losing the game. And yes, I think Argal had a little bit of good fortune, but the harder you work, the more luck you get. And I think this team's working really hard, and um, it was a, an excellent three points. I, th- I think for me, that as, as
0: everyone knows, what, to home games normally you work, David, with Chris, and I go as a fan, and you get that inner feeling. And at the start of the season, I was worried every time the opposition had the ball, I felt Argyle were going to concede, and we we're going to end up losing, and we concede the goal we going yeah. and equalise. I don't feel like any of that now. So even when we went one nil and two one down. I, I didn't necessarily have that feeling that, oh no, we've lost in my, in my stomach. So I've got that belief and I think that's all around the camp. The players obviously have the belief. And then the, the biggest sign, I think, was when we missed the penalty, you know, when, when Lemire took the penalty and missed it, but they still got a goal minutes later. Again, that's another sh- sign of the strength. So I think Argyle responded particularly well. And yeah, I think fans have that feeling that... You notice, for example, when they go down, there's not that nervousness around the, around the ground that there was at the start of the season. And I think that... You don't have to ask the players, but I think I spoke to a few players before, and that translates onto the pitch. When there's nerves in the stands, sometimes that can go onto the pitch, and that wasn't the case on Saturday.
1: You've also mentioned um, the, the missed penalty. I think um, because there were just so many controversies in the game, as, as tends to happen on match of the day, you know, you get straight into the controversies. Um, people have their own opinion, but I suppose it's worth delving in and um, uh, talking about them at first. I mean. Do, um, Obviously, the first missed penalty was 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 Lemiras and that was given for foul on um, or supposed foul on Makazi. What did you guys make of that? Did you think that was uh, a penalty or not? Because obviously, Bristol Rovers manager thought that neither of the penalties were a penalty.
2: And Derek Adams thought both were stonewall wall penalties. So that's a common theme, with managers. Yeah. So that's so that's a common theme. So I think sometimes we have to take what the managers say with a pinch of salt, oh, yeah, don't we? Absolutely. Uh, on both on both yeah, exactly, yeah. Derek Adams and the uh, the opposition manager. Um, it was a funny one, because at the time of the incidents, I thought the second penalty for uh, Songo that led to Carey's winning penalty was a penalty, and I wasn't convinced the first one was. It looked like Mukazi was going down mm. before contact was made. Um, having seen the replays, which is obviously a great benefit that referees don't have, um, I'm pretty convinced that Mukazi was, was pushed, tripped, had contact from behind, which then caused him to go forward. So. I, having seen the replays I would argue that the first one was a penalty which uh, Lemirez's spot kick was saved and, and I think Rovers were a hard done by with, with the second penalty I, I, I don't think Tom Lockyer did a lot wrong there there was obviously contact with Songo Songo went down but I think it was I, th- I would suggest it was accidental and um, so yeah so for me I would have given the first I think the first penalty was right but not the second one for you, yeah I think it's, it's always tough because unless a player really is flying in and chopping someone down
0: there's always going to be that contentious part as to whether it is I think managers can see it either way and I think for both of them I think I, I can understand why Derek Adams is, is, thinks it should have been and why Clark possibly thinks they shouldn't I, again f- I was sat in block 18 so I was at the so third list you had a different angle was, yeah so I couldn't see you know, in live okay. action whether it was or wasn't but I agree with Chris I actually thought the second one didn't look as bad as what I thought it would do no. When I watched it back on TV, I thought it was more of an accidental nudge, which does happen at, at mm. times. I don't. There wasn't any any proper thrust behind the um, behind the movement, so I think that was a bit unlucky. But I, again, it's another cliche. But I do think they, they come for you, and go against you throughout the season. I do think it equalises on the whole. Um, so uh, as an Argo fan and for Argyle I happily take it. Yeah.
1: The only other thing that's worth tearing up, um, I guess, is who should be. Um, Awarded with the second goal, which uh, BBC Sport gave to Jamie Ness. Um, you know, a few other people have given it um, as an own goal. Um, I mean, I, I'm not too sure where to where to sit on it. But Chris, you, you seem quite confident
2: as who should well, be awarded that goal. Well, I mean, I don't like giving own goals. I'd rather give them to our goal players. That's, <laughs> that's always my my sort of starting off point because mm. the our goal player wants the goal, of course, yeah. and the opposition player that concedes the goal doesn't want it, and, and vice versa. Um, but looking at it, you know. I'm not convinced Jamie Ness's shot was on target. Uh, if it hadn't been deflected, I'm pretty sure that the goalkeeper would have saved it quite comfortably. And um, it took such a big deflection, and then it went off the inside of the near post. For me, it has to be an own goal. I, you know, I'm all for giving players goals, but I think that's pushing it a bit, personally. What about you, Jack? What would you?
0: Uh, what, so, what, so what's the actual ruling? If it's on target and it gets well, the still goes this, in, is it always, this is
2: always this is always that. I don't yeah. think there is a hard and fast. I mean, well, I mean the general theory is if, if the shot is on target and it ends up in. and it ends up in the net. But if it's on target and the goalkeeper's perfectly placed to make the save, yeah, that's true. I don't think you can assume that the goalkeeper's going to let it through his hands and it's going to go in. Yeah, I suppose that's I the th- key, isn't I it? I think if I had to opt one way, I think I
0: would go for an own goal because the deflection was such an opposite. It wasn't just a. A big deflection, it was literally opposite ends of the goal, mm. wasn't it? It was going towards the mm. left, was towards, hat, the towards, right. towards the right as shooting, but yeah. ended up going towards the left after the deflection and in off the post as well. So, I mean, but I mean, would, well, I, I'm guessing I don't know. I've um, looked it up, but that would be that would be Nessa's first double in the game. I can't imagine he scored. Uh, he's not known for his goals, th- he's not known no, for his so, goals. So,
2: I'm sure he'd be sad if it was taken away from he, him. He, he was sort of oh, yeah. claiming it as you would expect yeah. after the game and Walked straight up, into the press. And and obviously, said, <laughs> obviously, yeah. <the>, uh, <laughs> with the second penalty that Argyle got you know Jamie Ness could have potentially have taken it and got a hat-trick and somebody said to him uh, have you ever scored a hat-trick and he said I don't think I've ever had three shots in a game let <laughs> alone uh, three goals so um, yeah, he, was in, he was in good spirits I mean I don't think Jamie Ness t- strikes me as one of those that's desperate to be judged by goals mm, I would no. think he was pretty pleased with the one he got which by the way his first goal I mean what Great a fantastic header, header that yeah. was mm. I mean short free kick lovely ball in from Carey um, but the way he sort of angled his body and shaped it, the head to flick it over into the far corner of the net, I mean, that was a fantastic finish. Yeah, it was I mean, a finish.
0: even taking the goals out of it, I mean, Jimenez's performance on the weekend was absolutely fantastic mm. and mm. he really has impressed me. When he's been fit and when he's played, he's been a fantastic acquisition, is
2: not he? And I think. Well, and, his, he, he, and he said he, he hadn't trained until Friday yeah. because of the calf injury that he'd had, and on Thursday he thought he wouldn't play. Now, you know, 13,000 people, people were at the game and, and lots of others would have heard about it. I mean, you would never know that Jamie Ness had missed training for virtually all week. I mean, he was like a man possessed. Yeah, him? he was all over the park.
1: What I thought was really interesting was I think Graham Carey got given the man of the match award from the club, but then when obviously we spoke to Derek after the game, he just he was without shadow of a doubt Jamie Ness was the best player on on the park today. And I thought that was a great comment for him to make, as you as you mentioned that he's not trained um, and you know the form that he's been in. He's just everywhere. I mean, he's, he's got. Potentially two goals, depending on how you look at it. You know, at least a goal and assist uh, at minimum, and then. But he was just involved in every passage of play, both in front of our goals box, outside of and inside of Bristol Rovers' box. Oh, it was just fantastic. We shouldn't forget it. he had
0: huge shoes to fill in, yeah, uh, when Timani left uh, left to go back to Fleetwood, so it wasn't anything but an easy job. You know, because Argyle on such a good run as well. But he clearly has the confidence, and he's improving mm-hmm. game by game. And The fact that Chris said that, that he was a big injury doubt, and he's come back
2: in is another positive sign. At the camp, everything is just going so well at the moment, and, and he will have penciled in his diary on his calendar Easter Monday mm-hmm. away to Scunthorpe <laughs> United, the club oh, where yeah. he left last season. You know, Scunthorpe fifth in the table, one point, and played one more game than Argyle. That one, game's really, uh, yeah, one less is, is really looming large, isn't it? You know, as a, as a really important fixture coming up. And
0: then there's also another thing I want to point out is it's great that when Argyle getting these big crowds, they're putting them on performances because historically. It's just just the way it works out that sometimes, when some of our goal's biggest attendances, it could be a bit flat. But they've put on such great games, and it's it's fantastic for the games going forward because there are some juicy ones to come
2: as well. I mean, it was it was it was cold, wasn't it? And yeah. you, I was walking around before the game, and you know, you saw uh, it's great to see all the kids turning up with their mum, their dad, grandparents, whatever. And these little kids were wrapped up in <laughs> scarves hats, balaclavas, mittens—you name it—and it's one of those it, you know. If it had been like nil-nil after an hour, those kids would have been sort of, oh, "Mum, Dad, can we go you home? Go. I'm freezing." Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> but what a great game, you yeah. know. And if it was, you know, one of those kids like first or second games, you know, that's why you become yes. a football fan when when you see a game like that, which has all those talking points, that will stick in their memories. And why wouldn't you be a football fan when you see a Sorry. game like that? I mean, you probably the first time we have seen Snowdon parking all the time. You yeah, I'm, I'm, I know, so. it was bizarre wasn't it? Seeing it driving yeah. across the pitch beforehand and. Uh, yeah, no, it was. It, I mean, that all added to it all. There was all yeah. sorts of bizarre things going on. Talking yeah. of which, Jack.
1: Yeah, there was. A, what did you capture on camera, Jack? <laughs> well,
2: it was very bizarre. I'm sure most people have seen. It. I can't, uh,
0: my my Twitter has been going a bit crazy over the weekend. I recorded. So, so basically, there was a fan in a wheelchair going up and down the linter stand, gesturing at the away crowd, just just good banter, really. You know, it was he was doing nothing, nothing particularly untoward. You know, the the odd the odd the, old, the old swearing gesture with his fingers, but all in. I think even the Rovers fans were laughing because I was sat like, quite close to them. And so I just thought, I'll just start filming that in case, because it's quite funny and I'll show it some people and it might be good for a story this week, possibly. And and all of a sudden, you just stood up. And, and the reaction of the crowd was the best part. They started singing, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And it was just it was absolutely fantastic. And I, so I uploaded it to Twitter and yeah, it's just, it's just got a bit bonkers, really. But it was, it was just, again, another bizarre moment of the game. I've never seen anything like that before. Who knows where he got the wheelchair from? I don't know his backstory. I hope I hope he needs the, doesn't need the wheelchair, and he's not going to get a call from some of the some authority in the week during the week. Well, <laughs> <Or laughs> maybe
1: there's a disabled guy in the toilets well, said a wheelchair. Do I, I don't
0: know where it came from. It's bizarre, but the stewards came and took it away, and he went back into the crowd. But it was just <laughs> it was just a really heartwarming moment. And again, it, when, when the atmosphere is so good, it all adds to the occasion. And, oh, yeah. and again, for the people that were seeing that and those sort of blocks where it was happening, it just again it was just another funny moment. And it, everyone sort of you could you could hear the talk, people talking to each other after that moment. And it was it's great atmosphere and very bizarre I, mean, I, don't, I don't think I'll see anything like that again the
1: great thing about that video is it's, it has gone quite viral this week I mean there's lots of big accounts like Sport Bible and Sport that you're getting tagged in with, but it's just weird like everything just seems Argyle just seems to be very much flavour of the month right now especially in the national media because their run's been so good and now the whole country's watched an Argyle Things fan in the stands are going show, experience yeah. a miracle and learn to walk again it's I mean, that's, crazy
2: that's the thing I mean Argyle are getting a lot of attention at the moment but, but they deserve it because oh, yeah. you know 12 wins 4 draws in 17 games in a in a league as competitive as a League One, takes some doing, you know. Mm. And it, it is an incredible story how they've gone from. David, you've got the table yeah, there right. in front of you, and you know it's hard to believe that they were what five or six points adrift of safety at one point in December, weren't they? And and, and you know they're on 57 points. I mean, it's and it's not, incredible. Not just that, the fact they're in the playoffs in their own right now. Mm. Games in hand, mm.
0: no one can overtake that position. So yeah. and that's the so that's the best position they've been in in terms of positioning
2: and points this season. And look at the games that've got to come, you know, fourth Rotherham, they're at home to Rotherham, then fifth Scunthorpe, they're away to Scunthorpe, Peterborough home, seventh P- Portsmouth home, eighth Charlton away, ninth. It's all in their hands. Yeah, you right. know, if if they can, you know, get results in those games, it won't be easy, of course it not, it won't, but you know, if they can get results in those games, they're going to be in a really good position. And after every game now, I'm thinking about whoever comes out
0: on top in the games. Like for example, when Peterborough jumped over last week I was thinking I what Steve Evans will be thinking, Derek Adams will yeah. be thinking, and
1: now thinking about that we're I can't wait for them to meet again. I'm sure that's going to be fascinating as yeah, well. Yeah, as much as uh, Saturday's game against Bristol Rovers was uh, was intense, I imagine Steve Evans versus Derek yeah. Adams on the touchline could possibly even match it. With a playoff place, exactly yeah, with a playoff place wrap. on yeah, the line, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? So, I mean, final question just to ask about this game. We've kind of touched on it already. I mean, can, can we really start dreaming about the playoffs now? I mean, we always a lot of us. Like to kind of stay quite grounded, and, and obviously Derek Adams does as well. But I mean, surely at this stage, I mean, as you mentioned, they're in the playoffs in their own right, in the sense that they've played the same number of games as the team around them. They've got a game in hand, they could be fifth if Scunthorpe lose next week and they beat Charlton. Is it a real possibility now? Do you think the players would be really disappointed if they don't finish in the top six now?
0: I think, I don't think the players would necessarily be dis- Maybe part of them will be, because I think they're all competitive. But what I would say is, if we, if we take ourselves away from being involved with our goal, if you're looking at that from afar for any other team, any individual, that, the run they've had the results they picked up you would fancy them so I think I, I can understand why people are getting excited and it is an exciting time what, a, what an end to the season it's going to be and I think the turnaround that Derek Adams has, has done the board has had a lot of credit for and we've spoken about that before but I, yeah I certainly think fans it's what it's what you're fans for isn't it there's a lot of bad moments in football we all know we're all fans of different teams <laughs> and we all know there's a lot of lows in football so you've got to enjoy the highs but They're sick in their own right, so I don't see why you wouldn't be hoping for a playoff place.
2: I mean, my analytical look at it is is that Rotherham are fourth; they're eight points ahead clear of Argyle. I think Argyle, even on the form they've been on, are going to have to go some to Mm. catch Rotherham. You know, I think Rotherham are a good enough team. They had a a couple of funny results, losing to to Rochdale and Milton Keynes, but they got back on track with a good win at Northampton. I I can't see Argyle catching them, but the good thing is that Scunthorpe have had a, a poor run. And you know, Argyle a point behind them with a game in hand. So what's happened is that instead of there potentially being only one playoff mm. place for grabs, there was two, clearly two. So from Scunthorpe in fifth to, you know, even Bradford in eleventh, you know, um, with their games in hand that they've got, although they're not on the greatest of runs, but. There's two places up for grabs, so clearly that improves Argyles' chances of a, of a, of a playoff place. And I think the most nervous team in that pack is definitely going to be Scunthorpe, really, because
0: they were, they were miles ahead of a lot of teams at, at one point, and their form has been quite like Argyles was at the start of the season, you know, it's been really, really poor, and uh, uh, the game against them in a, f- in, a, in a few matches time is going to be an absolute huge one. Mm.
1: You've obviously mentioned the board in there. They should take a lot of credit for what things that have happened recently. Obviously, the big uh, development this week is that Martin Starnes, it's been announced that he's going to be going to become the chief executive at Bristol Rovers. As some people might not have uh, known that before listening to the podcast. Um, it would be good to get some initial reaction to, to that. Um, uh, start with you, Chris.
2: Well, it was announced last week that, that Martin was, was going to be uh, leaving Argyle serving his period of notice and then leaving. And then on Monday morning, the uh, confirmation came that he's going to be the Chief Executive of Bristol Rovers starting in July. So, um, Asin Stand, he's, he's going to be with Argyle, I think, for the rest of the season. Uh, and Argyle have uh, hired a recruitment firm, uh, the same firm that uh, they use to uh, appoint two new directors, which we can touch on in a moment. Yep. Um, so, they're going to use the same recruitment firm to find a replacement for Martin Starnes. Um, should we be surprised by Martin Starnes? I'm, I'm surprised, yes. Um, you know, Martin uh, was appointed in July 2013 by Argyle, and I think he's done an excellent job. Um, he's been very good um, for the club as a sort of public face of the club. Um, as we all know, he's been a guest of uh, ours on our podcast, and a very willing and, and good guest of ours. And um, he also uh, writes a regular column for us in the Herald. Um, you know, so we've had a good personal relationship, I would say, with Martin, and uh, yeah. hopefully, you know, he's uh, found that useful as well. So I'm surprised he's he's leaving. Um, he's going to Bristol Rovers to be chief executive there. Um, you know, same division as Ardile. Um, You know, he will have his reasons for for going to Bristol Rovers. I'm, I'm surprised he's going, um, but you know, clearly wish him all the very best for the future. Because um, yeah, we've had a, a good working relationship. And I, I did talk to Derek Adams about this as well, and and he he himself said he'd enjoyed a, a very good working relationship with Martin and. Uh, you know, while he wished him well for the future, you know he was disappointed he was leaving. Yeah, for, I mean, for me, just martin hes, he's always he's been a very nice
0: guy. He's quite the character, As, and, and I'm sure that translates onto the podcast when people listen to it. You know, he's—he's he's not bland in any sense of the word. He's friendly. He's always been approachable, isn't he? I think sometimes, especially when John Sheridan was manager, there'll be t- in the summer, quite long periods where you couldn't get hold of him. But Martin, most of the time, left his phone open for you to contact him if he needed anything. Um, I, I, we did a video about this a, a, a week or so ago when when it was announced that he was leaving, and you know when Argo had all the ticket problems in Liverpool, he mucked in. You know, he, he went and helped them try and sort the ticket situation out. So he seems to be this person that's willing to, to roll up his sleeves and get jobs done. And yeah, I think he's been a he's been a big part of our turnaround in form. Mm-hmm. And it would be sad to see him go from from a personal point of view. I don't you know. I don't speak to him that often, but when I do, he's like I said, always friendly and. It, it would be a shame not to have him on the podcast anymore. <laughs> Though you never know, he might make the odd appearance, who knows?
1: Yeah. But uh, Well, for uh, Argyle Bristol Rovers, if that is a fiction next season, then that's as intense as it was <laughs> on the weekend, maybe he might pop by. But, but I think I certainly
0: wish him well and yeah. all, all the best in, in the future.
1: Yeah, but I mean, from, from a fan perspective, I suppose the interesting thing for you, Jack, is because you are a fan, but you also work for the Herald, you, you obviously would have had more interaction with him than a regular fan. What fans mostly see, I, I suppose it Transposes into how the club's doing on the pitch and, and bits off the pitch that they can perceive mm. as a fan in terms of the way that he's run um, aspects of the club in the time that he's been here. I mean, you, you can't be anything but impressed. I, well, I think Chris has
0: described him as a steady pair of hands, didn't you? you know? You he he knew what you're getting from him, and he's done a, he, he has been integral into Argyle's turnaround in form. I think he's worked well with James Brent, he's done his role well, and I think he's always been approachable to fans as far as I know. You know, he does stop and speak to fans. He, you know, on the way <laughs> we've seen, we bumped into him in the service station on the way back from games, and actually, I I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been before I possibly got the job at the hotel, or, or at least not, not long after, and I was on an away trip as, just as a fan, you know, not in any sense of the word, but working, and I was at a service station, he was there, and he was surrounded by a few other fans, and just having a chat with them, you know, it wasn't like, he wasn't talking to them as a, as a director and fans, he was talking to them as a group of fans, almost. Mm. So, so so yeah, I'm I've, I'm quite lucky in the sense that I'm a fan that's been able to have that insight, but... I'm pretty sure that most Argyle fans would know
1: would he's done a good job there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, Chris, you mentioned there's uh, two new faces uh, um,
2: on the director front. Would you like to tell us a bit about those? Um, well, the, the two two uh, ladies have been appointed by Argyle as non-executive directors. Non-executive means that they're not getting a salary for it. That's that's okay. the, 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 the basic of it. So there, there are two directors. Uh, Jane Chaffer, Cornish-born, lifelong Argyle fan, um, has a background in communications and marketing and things like that. She's currently... Um, Director of Communications at the University of Exeter. So um, it looks, when you look at her CV, that she's been brought in for communications, marketing, you know, selling the club. Mm. Um, So I would think that would be um, what she's um, bringing to to the table. And uh, Joe Cubbon is um, a former GB athlete at um, hockey, apparently. Um, Mm -hmm. So I haven't had a chance to look too much into (laughs) that. But a former chief executive of uh, the Taunton and Somerset NHS Foundation Trust. Um, so she's uh, got good experience in in that and in the sort of health profession side of things. She's also on the uh, Plymouth uh, Magistrates Court uh, bench as well. So uh, she's very uh, much into um, the charity voluntary sort of sector side of things. Okay. Um, so again, she might sort of look towards that side of things. And her one of her comments when she took over was she was looking forward to sort of seeing Argyle continue to be one of the best sort of family community clubs in the country so uh, I think you know again looking at her CV the sort of community uh, aspect of football clubs and you know Argyle have a fantastic um, football in the community trust to do so much good work across uh, Devon and Cornwall I suspect that she may well um, you know get you know involved in that as well so so two 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 females um, you know as we all know in football it's very much always been a male bastion so Argyle is certainly um, if not setting a trend, uh, I'd say they're leading the way by by appointing uh, Jane and Joe, and um, we'll hopefully get a chance to speak to both of them in the in the near future, and uh, you know find out their thoughts. But uh, it's something that James Brent's been talking about mm. for a while. Yeah. is you know getting um, getting a while away from the the white male middle aged men in the boardroom, and and the, these two appointments certainly do that. Yeah, definitely. And, uh,
1: like you said, I mean, he's been talking about it for a long time, and it's good to see that Argyle can be at the forefront of. Some, you a know, bit of a progressive movement in football I suppose that's the thing, it's
0: definitely going to pick up some national interest I'd imagine, I, I saw an interview recently it's a bit off topic but a bit similar with Daniel Kaluuya who's, a, who's an actor, he was on the Graham Norton show and he was he was saying that when he was younger he never really saw many black superheroes and now he's in this Black Panther film and he said no, the, the image it'll give for younger kids to look at him, I think they can do that and I think that will have a similar impact if young girls can go and see that there are women in the top level of, of, of sport like there are, I think that's going to be great inspiration for them and it can only be a positive step, and I think it's great that Argyle are are doing something about that. And James Brent said in the fast Forum months ago that he was, <coughs> excuse me, he was very keen to to push ahead with that, and it, I think it's a, a great image for the club.
1: Mm, definitely. Speaking of moving forward, uh, more short term, next week it's a trip to Charlton Athletic, uh, as we've mentioned, is, is is a big big game. Um, you know, I mean, just just to clarify, I think it was uh, touched on last week. Um, it was a threat of uh, postponement due to international call-ups, wasn't it? But thankfully, that's not the case anymore.
2: Well, I've, Charlton have had two call-ups just before we recorded this. I just checked oh, right. their website to see if there was talk of any more, <laughs> and there there hasn't been. So, um, you know, just watch this space just in case. But okay. as it stands and as looks likely, Charlton are going to have two players missing, and you need three to be called up to have the game postponed. So, you know, Charlton will be disappointed, I would have thought, if the game does go ahead, because they're going to be without Josh McGuinness, the striker, and one of the young defenders is in the England under-20 squad. So, you know, that isn't ideal from them. But it looks as though the game's going ahead um, as planned on Saturday, which we hope, uh, we all hope it does because we don't really want to go to South East London on a Tuesday night and <laughs> if we can, if we can avoid it. Um, ticket sales have been really good by all accounts. I think there's going to be a massive contingent of the, the Green Army uh, at the Valley on Saturday. If you haven't got your ticket... You know, why not go along? You know, the Valley's is a fantastic ground. Mm. You get the, the away end is an away end. It, you have that stand. I think it holds about three thousand to yourself. Um, I'm expecting it to be pretty full. And uh, you know, with the run that Argyle on to go to a a, re- a Premier League stadium. You know, the Valley is is that good mm. to go along and have thousands of Argyle fans for for a really important game between sixth and ninth in the table. Um, yeah, there's worse ways of spending a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Preferably, preferably without snow and ice and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, that would be a big boon. Yeah, that would be a big, big bone wouldn't it?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge game, isn't it? I mean, mm. I think Charlton do they have games in hand? Again? Uh, they've got
1: one game in hand on Argyle, but they're five points yeah, behind.
0: Yeah. So, 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 so Argyle could potentially stretch that gap even more than like they did with Bristol Rovers at the weekend. So, there's that significance. You, because Argyle having to play so many teams around them, there really are six points of games so where the table can look so different depending on the result. You know, I think when Up on Bristol Rovers went ahead, they were they were just a couple of points behind Argo, and and, and and the game ended and were seven points and it's going to be very similar next week at Charlton. I've never been to the Valley before, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, it should be a great call-up and I, I think they might have a few injury problems as well. I've, I've seen murmurs of them having a bit of a goalkeeper situation with injuries at the moment, so it'll be interesting. I think if, if they've got two of their key players on international duty, it's probably a good time for Argo to play them, mm. so... Like Chris said, I definitely think that Carl uh, Robinson might have been hoping the game would be called off.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, with that, I suppose disadvantage for Charter. I mean, would you um, be disappointed if they didn't win, or would you take a point? Do you think? I think it's always going
0: to be get a point away from home, especially when you're winning your home games. But of course, I think the way the table's was looking, if they get three, then fantastic. I think that will be Derek Adams' aim. You know, I think that'll be anyone's aim. And also, there's been a lot of links with Carl Robinson going to Oxford as well, which might have unsettled. And say, I think he's a favourite to take over Oxford at the moment um, by the bookmakers. So I think that's unsettled them a little bit as well. Um, but I always work on the basis if you can get point, any points away from home and pick up wins at home, that's good. But in this in this sort of situation, if they can get three points, and why shouldn't they have the run they're on? Mm. Then it, then that'd be a great result as well,
2: especially with key players missing. Yeah, I mean Charlton, Charlton drew nil nil with Fleetwood on on Saturday, which was another sort of point for John Sheridan at, at Fleetwood. The, the bits and pieces I heard about that game was that Charlton had loads of shots on target, but never really looked like scoring. And on loads of shots and loads of attempts on goal but, um, but never really looked like scoring I think that's been a little bit of a theme for them in, uh, in recent games I mean if, if you'd said to me at the start of the season pick teams to get promoted I'd have had Charlton right up there as one mm-hmm. of my contenders they're still in there but would you take a point on Saturday yes I would because it would still keep Charlton five points behind Argyle with, you know, uh, they would have the game in hand but it's a nice little cushion for Argyle to have but, I mean, a win for either team makes a difference. If if Argyle could be eight points clear of Charlton, uh, admittedly having played more one more game than Charlton, you know, that's going to take some catching. If Charlton can cut that deficit to two points and have a game yeah. in hand, then, you know, they're, they're right back in the thick of things. So it's one of those, I think, you know, Charlton fans uh, want and expect their team to be in the Championship. If Argyle go there and get the first goal... Um, you know, then they're going to be with a bigger way support you know, I, I could see them winning it so I, I do think it's one of those games that if Argo can get the first goal you know, that would be really important don't, to the don't,
0: don't quote me on this but I'm pretty sure I heard on the Football League show that they've not won at home in two months so mm-hmm. I think their home record is not particularly good so again that's another that's another indication that Argo could, could, could you know really want to try and get They've had that. issues over
2: ownership there the mm-hmm. fans aren't happy with the ownership You know, there's issues over the manager they might be without three or four players for the game you know. If Argyle can start that game brightly, not necessarily mm. score, but just start it brightly, mm. I, I can certainly see a situation where the
0: home fans turn on their team mm. and they can only work in Argyle's favour. I would definitely want to be Argyle going into this game. But again, <laughs> it's in Charleston's hands, so they can beat Argyle, it's in their hands, they do to take Argyle, so yeah. there'll be so much um, emphasis on their team winning as well. And uh, again, I'm not sure, but is this, could this be one of Argos' first doubles of the season? They won't, the run they had at the yeah, start, there will not be many, but okay, yeah, they'll beat Charlton at home. Yeah, that was the so, game, man. Yeah, so uh, who knows what will happen?
1: You've obviously mentioned uh, the Valley being a nice stadium. Just to finish off on this particular subject, I mean, um, obviously both of you can remember the uh, the Championship days um, at different stages of of your of your life, I suppose. But you still remember lots of big games, Um, games like this. Surely, uh, sort of a bit of a throwback to then, you know, going to what is effectively a Premier League quality stadium. You know, points on the line. Uh, plenty at stake it's, it's just fantastic isn't it
0: well uh, again those our championship days were before my time as, as a reporter at the Herald so it was all fan based and I've been to places like Pride Park for example um, and yeah it's, it's great when you're an away fans to go to these big stadiums and you really take pride in wearing your shirt walking through these streets of, of, of unknown territory really <laughs> uh, and, you know it's, it's a great indication and it's not just away games as well I mean the home games the crowds recently it very much reminds me of what it was like in the championship days where there's big numbers of people when there's no Wi-Fi for example that's an indication of things are going well when you have to queue 10 minutes for the toilet that's an indication of things going well everything at the moment is feeling a bit more like those championship days and yeah I think this will be a great I mean you can make a weekend of it some other fans mm. might want to fancy a bit of time in London but it'll be a great game I'm sure and with the run that i have been on, then why wouldn't you want to go to this? So if you've yeah, got any exactly. money, you know, why, why not give it a go? Why why not go to a good stand and see your team in Premier League surroundings?
1: Yeah, From a, from a work perspective, I suppose, Chris, obviously you remember covering those games mm. and, and I suppose it's a, it's a lot more easier to get out of bed in the morning for a, for a <laughs> game, you know, I'm going to go to Charlton today rather than travelling up for some relegation crash at Accrington Stanley, for example. Yeah, no, it's a
2: good view good view, and a nice press area afterwards, so that, you know, there's always two things that help <laughs> our... Uh, help our jobs but um yeah no it's uh they they did a lot of work chart because you know the the older listeners will remember they had quite a while away from the valley uh, and they ground shared at uh, Sellers park um for, for quite a while and they went back to the valley and they gradually built it up from from basically the rubble that was left of the old the old valley and um it's very nice ground you get some nice views from the top of the stand we'll be in of uh, of the 0 arena and the the thames flood barrier and uh yeah, so it's it's right in the thick of central London, you know, right in the central London. So, um, yeah, it'll be a good day out. Of course, the most important thing is if Argyle can get the win and uh, try and keep this fantastic run going.
1: Mm. Just to finish, then, we've got uh, three questions, um, all sort of kind of touching on lots of different things, but um, definitely I think it's worth having a look at those. So Dave Sells asked, do we need to make sure that Kerry takes penalties going forward? And why do you think that Ryan Taylor doesn't want the responsibility? Obviously, that question's come from the fact that Lemirez took that first penalty and missed it, and Derek Adams says he likes to leave it up to the players. So, oh. I mean, do, you, do we think that Kerry should just be the designated taker?
0: I've got to admit, when, when I saw Lemirez stepping up, I was nervous. I did feel I don't like it when things change. I know he had missed miss his penalty before that, but I would feel much more comfortable seeing Kerry <laughs> taking penalties. I mean, his record over time is, is far better than it is worse. And I do feel for Lemirez, I mean, that can't be easy when you take mm. it off a regular penalty taken, you know, you want that shot and then you miss it. That kind of a nice situation. He must have been very relieved when the equaliser came, not you know, shortly after. But I would be much happier seeing Kerry take penalties. It's very much like the Newport game when Garita took took the penalty uh, against <laughs> g- <laughs> Newport. G- it's not going to be our day, no. and then Kerry got one a bit later on and scored just like he did at Bristol. So the thing I've noticed, yes, the thing I've yeah, so noticed that the history repeats. If someone else takes a penalty, I'll go and get another one. <laughs> <game and> <laughs> we'll will put it
2: away to remind that player that Kerry should be taking penalties. Yeah. The thing or, is, is that you know. Kerry had one saved against Berry, which he then scored from the follow up. And then uh, he also had the one saved at Shrewsbury. So, you know, I can understand why you would, you know, if you're Ruben Lamirez, you're playing well, you've been nominated for Player of the Month. Uh, I haven't got a problem with him taking it. Um, it was a good height for the keeper, but it was still a good save. That was a mm. pretty good save from Sam, from Sam Slocum. Um, but yeah, you know, in the 85th minute, when it's 2 2, you know, who do you want to take the penalty? No, totally. your, your best player, your talisman. Um, he yeah, had quite a long wait didn't he while uh, Jan Songo was receiving treatment and you know I did look at him and his, his body language he looked like he was going to score mm-hmm. I mean it's easy to say that in hindsight isn't it <laughs> yeah. but uh, he looked like he was going to score and it was it was pretty nonchalant wasn't it yeah. and um, yeah those are the situations key matches key moments where you need your best players to step up to the mark and he did with a really good penalty so I'd happily see him take every penalty yeah. I mean I saw Paul Wotton miss one or two penalties but that never put me off the idea that if you get a penalty and we really need somebody to score it Paul Watton was going to have a very high percentage rate of converting them. why doesn't Ryan Taylor want the responsibility I, I I don't know if he does or he doesn't to be yeah. perfectly honest but I mean Graham Carey would always be my first choice of well, exactly. He's got to be a brave man to get off Graham Carey and, also, you
0: know, and it, it's, it's, it's it's not always easy to, t- to take that sort of pressure in. And Graham Carey deals with that very well. Mm. And I think yeah, we we'll look forward to seeing him take it again in the yes.
1: yeah. I suppose the thing with Ryan Taylor, he's not really a goal scorer. So I suppose he's not, he's not one of these strikers where... He is the designated taker, like a lot of clubs, where if you're the top goal scorer and you're the striker, maybe you take the penalties. But that's not to say that he can't score goals, well, we know he can. But I suppose, and also he came to the club after Kerry was well established as well. well on the flip side, it's
0: quite good to see that Kerry was happy to let Limerick take it. What I hate seeing in football is when you see oh, players yeah. scrapping over who should take the penalty It's that, that doesn't happen because I suppose when a manager leaves it up to the players, there is always that risk. And you do see it on occasions yeah. in games. You, like Crystal Palace, just, for example. Yes, yeah. <laughs> don't mind Chris. <laughs> yes, and it, it, it just looks awful. So at least that didn't happen. And yeah, I think Kerry no. will take more than he doesn't take going forward
1: Our next question is from James and I don't know if any, everybody noticed this at, um, at the game he said was what Derek Adams did to the Bristol Rovers fan after the game acceptable or not because of course he was pictured uh, waving waving them goodbye I mean, where do you guys stand on that I mean, do, do you think he's perhaps maybe treading the line a bit close or is it all just part of tribalism in football for me think?
0: normally I like to see that but I think when there's, there's aggravation and things being thrown at away fans and they're already quite irate police are struggling to contain them I don't think it was a, the 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 bravest the right thing to do necessarily like I said, normally I don't mind it but if that could aggravate a situation that's already quite hostile like I said missiles are being thrown at Argyle, Argyle fans from the Bristol fans in block 18 and I don't think it was necessarily the most sensible option to do because it's, it's making a, a quite fiery situation potentially more fiery um, normally when there's no aggravation then I love to see that as a fan because I don't care I like Opposition fans hating our players and our managers. That's what you want to see. Oh, yeah. I think in a situation like that, I think sometimes the sensible heads needed. and I don't think it's necessarily the right decision.
2: Yeah, I think I'd just walk off the pitch and salute the Argyle fans and, and, and leave it at that if, I'm, if, if that's me. Um, I do think fans, though, don't have to accept that if, if you're prepared as a fan to yell abuse at every Tom, Dick or Harry that happens <laughs> to be in the opposition, you can't get too precious when uh, somebody sort of uh, gives a bit back. Sort of <laughs> so um, I think fans are sometimes guilty of that where oh, yeah. you know, they're quite happy to slag off a player, a manager, the referee or whatever. Um but if the player or the, the the manager that you've been having a go at as a word back, well oh, it's, it's, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. <laughs> you know, so um yeah. Take it on the gym or whatever Take seen. it well, like I say, you know, I it, the, there was obviously a little bit of um uh, trouble at that far end and so you probably you know, in, in all seriousness it would have probably been best just to to, to sort of uh, you know leave it at that but um but yeah he's human at the end of yeah, the day you exactly know, people that's do things was in the moment. it was a big game you know the emotions are, yeah. uh, are going You know. but you know if you had done that
0: and then it kicked off even more and, and the Bristol, more Bristol Rivers fans have stormed to the, the Argo fans that wouldn't have been great with it
2: but it didn't happen so
1: yeah so maybe we can take that as a positive final question then from Dave Billing who says is it true that Sonny Bradley is back in training now?
2: well Sonny Bradley put a tweet out on Saturday night saying that he was looking forward to get back into training on Monday so yeah um, We'll, you know, we'll find out more in the course of the week how that's gone. We asked Derek Adams about Sonny Bradley afterwards, and he said he needed further tests um, for this uh, unspecified illness. You know, Derek Adams has got not gone into any great details about that. He said, but um, Bradley would need further tests before he could resume playing. But hopefully, those tests are forthcoming. Hopefully, they're they're good. You know, hopefully, Sonny Bradley gets through a, a week's training and is uh, ready and raring for for Charlton because I think that would be a big mm. boost for. Argyle. I felt a bit sorry for Jan Songo on, on Saturday. He didn't have the, the greatest games, although he did make one excellent tackle in the second mm. half when the Stuart Sinclair almost broke through. And if he'd mistimed that, it would have been a penalty and a red card. Um, you know, I, I think Jan Songo's done really well as a centre back on the right side of the centre back pairing for Argyle uh, in the past. I, left side, I don't think, suits him. Um, it, it's, it's causing him, I think, a few problems. I mean, to see him knocked off the ball by Alice Harrison Mm. who's very unusual because Jan Songo is 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 a strong strong player I just think he's just a little bit out of position there so I think it would be really important for Argyle to get Sonny Bradley back for for the Charlton game Yeah definitely looked a bit more open in defence in the last couple of games since Bradley's not been
0: even Fleetwood you know they looked uncharacteristically fragile in defence at times and That's not necessarily Songo's fault. I think Bradley's a Bradley's
2: Bradley's arguably one of Argyle's top two two players with Kerry isn't he? I Mm. mean, you you take a player like that out of any team, yeah,
0: you're gonna miss him. And if you speak to most, or you speak to most managers, or you see interviews with managers, they say it's so important to have that solid back four. And I think, especially in a run like this, it's not hard, it's not easy, sorry, for someone like Songo to come in. um, uh, And uh, yeah, the quicker Bradley's back, I think, I think, the
1: better for everyone. Definitely. Right, that draws us uh, to a close for for this episode. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks guys for for being on the show. Um, obviously, we we'll have plenty of things going on this week. When we, Chris, you'll be speaking to the manager a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're if you're listening now, make sure you stick with the website for the rest of the week and get a preview for the Charlton game. And obviously, uh, we're going to be going up there as well, and we'll be covering that. So uh, we will see you on our God chat next week.